This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 16th of May 2022 at home in Wicklow. And before recording, I thought it was going to be quite a frothy episode. (laughs) I was going to keep it light and focus on building towards objectives and achieving little victories every day towards a larger victory in life. But then I got distracted by the the mass shooting in Buffalo in the United States and I went into uh, uh, a bit of just look you know just reading some articles about what had happened and some commentary and reaction to it and suddenly i found all of that material much more interesting um however i did manage to to draw a connection between that and the the sort of inspirational quotes i was going to be using to launch the the other uh, idea for the pod um so yeah so there's quite a bit in uh, in today's episode and I sort of, yeah, I lay out the positive stuff first and then go into a bit of an exploration of ideologies of hate and how they are thriving and doing so well in the world at the moment and how it seems a lot of particularly young white men are becoming radicalized and weaponized. And um, as ever, as ever with the with the podcast, I mean, I sit down, I press record, and I don't stop until it's over. And then when it's over, usually within the next hour or two, I'm like, damn, you know, there were one or two salient points I wanted to make and forgot to make and sort of hinted at but didn't conclude. So just quickly here, I'll I'll just say there were two things I wanted to mention explicitly that maybe I didn't get to in the, the, the podcast. One, there you go, there's my friend. One was that this idea of fear, fear driving hatred, fear, fear of being under assault. I'm, I'm under assault by that bloody chicken. Fear of being under assault by the other. Um, the idea that that fear is driving hatred and Jesus and driving violence I don't feel that fear and I know I've I've got friends um I've, I've had colleagues um uh, white men who have expressed that fear to me and who take it very seriously and I've never for a millisecond felt what they're feeling um so that does inform my sort of uh, belief system it informs how i view the world it informs how i view other people it informs how i view the other so that's one point i didn't make but it's an important one i personally do not feel that fear i don't feel as a white man that i'm being attacked i don't feel under assault i don't feel there's a you know a massive campaign to eradicate the white male the white straight male I don't feel that. I don't buy into it. I reject it as an idea. And I think men who lean into that idea 
and lean into that fear or lean into the idea of that threat i think it's a way of avoiding stepping up in other ways it gives them an excuse to go down a particular path and that might be easier or more attractive to them for other reasons so that is one point the other point i wanted to make and i did start to talk about it towards the end of the episode was that yeah i was focusing a lot of course on american society american culture american history and race in america and i started to try and say uh why that was interesting to me but i forgot to make the additional point that i think it is very relevant i think it's very relevant to observe and comment on and think about what plays out in america because america if you're living in an english-speaking western country america always has an influence and american culture has been coming into our lives in one form or another for for years and years and years i mean it starts with the movies but then tv and popular media um it keeps on going we were never away from the 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 touch of american culture and it's 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 international i mean it is it's the true sort of multinational um conglomerate of ideas and culture and style and energy and voice that somehow in spite of everything continues to hold uh, a huge position of influence in the world and right across the world and even though i'm here in my my little cottage in hashtag blessed in the rural irish countryside um it reaches it reaches here as well so um it's you know it, it, it it's often where things play out and then it filters it filters across to other other places and um yeah that's why i think it's relevant anyway that's it that's what's coming up a lot of stuff a lot of good stuff a lot of a lot of um chewy meat in this week's episode so uh yeah i hope you like it i hope you get into it and i hope it gets those cogs turning and now i'm about to go and kill a rooster that one okay see you soon bye not gonna change my mind leaving the dream Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. Welcome, welcome to my, my humble, my humble podcast where I explore everything that makes us well and unwell. My little crusade of trying to keep it real, trying to examine human frailty my own frailty. I'm so frailed. <laughs> I tell you what, I tell you what, my uh, my sinuses are pretty frail at the moment. It's the, it is the season of hay fever and pollen, pollen eruptions in the air. So if I sound ever so slightly bunged up, that is the reason I seem to be overtaken by uh, little episodic sneezes throughout the day uh, i was teaching <laughs> i was teaching <laughs> self-defense the other day i had one student for self-defense and yeah the poor woman i had to keep stopping to uh to blow my nose violently i'm like i'm so sorry she's like it's fine i said no it's a bit disgusting but anyway what can you do what can you do such is life 
So, so I had a bit of feedback on last week's episode. I just thought I'd share it with you because, you know, let's let's put it into perspective. I'm uh, I've been doing this now for uh, almost a year. Next next week will be the the uh, the one year anniversary, basically, of the podcast. Um, you know, give our give our take a few days, and I've been tipping away like a good soldier, producing an episode once a week, pouring all my. <laughs> all my id and all my my knowledge and my opinions and myself into this earnest effort and bringing with it my decades of experience as a uh, as a as a sometime teacher as an actor as a performer as a writer as a blogger uh as a human a human human that's a quote that's a quote from i want to say runaway train mid 80s john voigt eric roberts and rebecca de mornay i think um in which john voigt as this hardened criminal laments being being a homo sapiens because after kicking the head off eric roberts rebecca de mornay shouts at him you're an animal and he goes no worse i'm human so in any case all these decades of being a human and you know my got my got my degree in english and philosophy and my years of martial arts experience and all the rest and the feedback you know for for all that the the accumulation of all that experience and and knowledge and application the bit of personal feedback i received for last week's episode was the chickens stole the show now that's a deliberate a deliberate bit of silence there so you can you can dwell on that yeah yeah no yeah yeah podcast was great you know i really i really, I really like you know where you're coming from you always make me think very stimulating, thought-provoking, funny. Uh, I like spending time with you. No, the chickens, the chickens stole the show. Those beasts of little brain stole the show. So what else can I do except say fair play to the chickens for stealing my thunder, stealing my light. They are thwarting me in more ways than one. And uh, yeah, that's the last you'll hear of those bloody chickens today. Okay, so this week's episode, I I came across a couple of quotes over the last few days. I thought, oh, that's that's some interesting stuff there. I might there might be enough material to uh, you know to extrapolate from a quote or two. I might spend an hour talking about a component of wellness and self improvement and putting things in perspective and still going for little victories and it all just got a bit derailed this morning when uh, I was perusing the headlines from World News um, because I started reading about uh, I started reading about the 
the mass shooting in Buffalo in the United States um, a few days ago where a lone, young, radicalized, white gunman entered a black neighborhood and targeted a store, I guess some sort of, I don't know, I, I didn't even read the details about the store, like a Kmart kind of store called Tops and just proceeded to shoot loads of people he shot 13 people and killed 10 eight of whom were black and it was very much a a racially motivated attack um and like yet again another really disturbing incident of um you know personalized personal sort of outrage and hatred directed at innocent people um and when that happens in the united states with the accessibility to powerful weapons um the the consequences are are devastating um so i did get a bit sucked into that this morning when i was reading um some you know the news and i read uh, a couple of articles by a journalist who's a Yale University academic, um, and I'm gonna, be, and he like he was looking at a very you know, uh, looking at the sort of the, the the politics behind this type of um, radicalized hatred, and I read another one of his articles on um, critical race theory um, as well, so. Um, yeah, I, I kind of found, wow, this stuff is all really interesting and seems very relevant and I have my own thoughts. Um, so I'm, I'm, I am going to kind of end up looking at that. But I did circle back to the to the quotes I was looking at and found unexpectedly, um, when I dug a little bit deeper, a little link maybe to the, the larger topic I'm going to end up speaking about in this episode. So, um, yeah, fasten your, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Um, that's probably a misquote from um, All About Eve. Isn't that what Bette Davis says in the back of the car? Anticipating a, a, a fun night ahead where she's not going to hold back. Uh, the the ageing star being usurped by the young, young... Oh man, I'm gonna go blank on her name. The young actress, what's her name? Anne, Anne something. There's loads of Anne's come to mind, but it's not the right one. Anyway, no matter. Fastener seat belts, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Now, the quote, the first quote I saw, and I bumped this on to some friends, because I thought that's a nice little quote. Um, the first quote I saw was, uh, listen to this, listen to this. One day work is hard, and another day it is easy. But if I had waited for inspiration, I am afraid I should have done nothing. The miner does not sit at the top of the shaft, waiting for the coal to come bubbling up to the surface. One must go deep down and work out every vein carefully. And that is a quote from Arthur Sullivan, <laughs> composer. And I, was, <laughs> I saw the name and I was like, who? 
<laughs> why should I why should I pay this guy any attention? Why should I give his quote any any credence? Arthur Sullivan. Never heard of him. And then once I actually uh, went to find out who he was, I realised I realised, oh, oh, it's it's one half of Gilbert and Sullivan. And Arthur Sullivan was born to Irish parents. So again, little tinge of Irish pride there. Well, it depends. It depends if you uh, if you like that kind of thing. Uh, the, the kind of thing that Gilbert and Sullivan produced, their, their light operas, their comedic operas, such as HMS Pinafore or The Pirates of Penzance or The Mikado. Um, and again, if you're interested in, in uh, that world, I'm sure you're a fan of, if you have not, uh, I'm sure you've seen it. And if you haven't, you should. A great Mike Lee film from about 20 years ago, um, maybe a bit more than that, called Topsy Turvy with a brilliant uh, Jim Broadbent performance as I think he's playing um, Gilbert actually, not Sullivan. And a great entertaining romp through the the composition of, I can't remember what one it was, it might have been The Mikado, but a a great cast and a great great comedy, great film, very entertaining and very far removed from the usual kind of offering from the the brilliant British director Mike Lee whose films are usually grounded in intense uh, personal social realist drama Um, but there you go there you go so that was you know I thought that's quite nice isn't it you know this idea of you know you don't wait to make good things happen you know you can go out and you know you do the work you don't wait for the muse to strike I heard Liam Neeson on a, a podcast um, th- just the other day. I was listening to a very funny podcast called Smartless, 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 which is presented by three um, th- three American, uh, sorry, two American, one Canadian actor, actor comedians, Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, who was in Will and Grace, and Will Arnett who, with Jason Bateman, was one of the central cast members of Arrested Development. But they have a podcast where they, each week, one of them brings a mystery guest. And because, of course, they're so high up in the celebrity world, they're always interviewing interviewing big names in the uh, the film industry, generally the film industry, and Hollywood movies. But this recent episode I heard, they were interviewing Liam Neeson. And Liam Neeson was saying that the muse, his theatre muse, had deserted him and he no longer has uh, has any desire to to work in theater uh, it's quite a f- nice interview he's got he's there's not a bit of his accent that's left him he comes across very well I have a lot of time for Liam Neeson he's um he attracted a lot of unnecessary flack and backlash in recent years for um in my opinion just speaking very honestly and openly and um transparently um about issues of race and around the me too movement and he got a bit uh, a bit slaughtered but i i felt he was coming from a good place and i think he he generally does he's he's an actor i've always admired um but anyway so speaking of the muse not just waiting for the muse to do the work for you waiting you know languishing on your divan waiting for the uh, the quill to twitch in your hand before dipping it in the ink pot. Um, no. 
you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta dig in. You gotta do some work. You gotta bring that. And I, and, and that's what I would think of as, that's an area of mindfulness, and an area of discipline. Remember, rem- remember this this workshop I'll offer at some point. Discipline can wait. <laughs> the art of healthy procrastination. Um, but that is that is that that is part of. I think it's a very fundamental part of wellness and having a sense of self-worth, which is basically allying yourself to the things you care about and the things that you want to pursue and not losing sight of those things and in even the tiniest of ways keeping them present in your day-to-day life. And some days are going to be more full of those things and more full of the mission to prioritize them and as I said to ally yourself with them and other days it might the opportunity might not be there and other things take over life of course has a way of getting um of of getting in the way life has a way of obstructing life has a way of filling the screen of filling your field of vision with other things that you were hoping would not be there perhaps um and just taking over and knocking i don't know it's like you know it's like you set out your table with everything precisely in place so you can begin whatever the project is and you have everything beautifully aligned and the feng shui or the danish um have to refer to a previous episode to know what I'm talking about there. Uh, the Danish is um, <laughs> is um, is bubbling beautifully in the atmosphere, and everything is just so. And then, just this enormous slab of everything else that has nothing to do with the project slams down on your table and demolishes everything that was so perfectly curated so the process could begin and it's like really did you think you had a bit of control there buddy did you think you were just gonna do your own thing you know weave your little bit of magic not a chance friend now suck on this so um some days are gonna be like that aren't they some days some weeks some months maybe some years and the challenge and this is what i believe i believe this really i I do believe this quite strongly the challenge is too and this is going to be presented in very idealistic romantic terms but the challenge is ultimately to keep your little flame alight don't let life extinguish your flame don't let life put out the fire cherish it keep it safe you just need it might only be a little glowing ember but you can keep that guy alive nurse it and get it going again don't don't let it get crushed don't let it become ashes (laughs) because i tell you what you're not going to relight ashes that's for sure so um i think that's the challenge and whatever that represents to you whatever that flame that flame, that little fire, that little ember of 
of what you truly value, of what's truly meaningful to you. Um, you are entirely within your rights to keep that safe, to nurture it, to keep it very safely centered in your in your in your vision of possibility in your sense of internal world building and yes with that i'm going to uh i'm going to move and uh, sorry just one more thing one more thing on that quote the um that deep down aspect one must go deep down and work out every vein carefully and it immediately reminded me of what I was talking about a couple of episodes back, this idea of listening to the deep respondent self, the um, that idea of of doing the hard work, the big submerge, the yes, the deep dive going down, down, down in, into the, the ocean of obfuscation and distraction and everything else that competes and gets in the way of clarity to just go and do that hard work and keep your faith that you're going to land on something that's worth listening to that's worth working with that's worth valuing treasuring putting at the center of the plan um and you know in terms of what i was talking about a few weeks ago i mean i was talking about really a sort of a self-therapeutic approach of checking in with oneself and going deep to go where am i you know how how am i really angled what's really driving my state at the moment is it fear is it anger is it hurt is it you know is it is it is it confidence i don't know it could you know it's not necessarily a bad thing sometimes here's a thought sometimes we hold ourselves back because we're afraid of what we're capable of we're afraid of our power now last week i spoke about heroes and i'm not trying to put it into this very uh, over the top hyperbolic um world conquering understanding of power uh you know to be afraid of one's power you know it's you know you're like a you know you're like a bomb that's about to go off i mean that that can be i mean i think that can often be uh, an aspect of of anxiety of of repression particularly um of anger that you know we're, we're, the magnitude of the emotion is terrifying and to release it we you know i think there's a fear that it might destroy us by giving full vent, um, you know, to, to 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 what's been felt and what's been, you know, what one has struggled to suppress and control for a lifetime, and it's going to be so, we're so full of it that to, to release it will leave us depleted and empty and unknown to ourselves, perhaps. Um, however, that said, what I'm talking about is much more positive, like the feeling of not i suppose the feeling of not trusting um that not trusting that you can reveal what's there 
because of how it might be um how it might be you know re- received or i don't know i'm struggling to i'm struggling to articulate this one that's because I, I clearly have <laughs> anytime i hesitate like no okay i've got some complex feelings <laughs> i've got some complex feelings around this um and maybe then i have to go okay so hold on what's it about because i do I, I i i do believe that this is a real thing and so maybe it is then about not trusting oneself and not having sufficient faith in oneself and perhaps not you know again this is pure psychoanalysis 101 not believing you deserve to have power um now this is you know funny enough when I hear myself say that this is going to lend itself well to um the the remainder of the discussion today when we get into the the racism stuff and racial hatred and all the rest okay so look i'm going to get away from that and move to the other quote and the other person so this quote is one pretty you know on the surface it sounds pretty generic and you know office poster office inspirational poster doctor's waiting room poster quote territory but this is neither genius fame nor love show the greatness of the soul only kindness can do that and that's a quote from jean-baptiste henri lacordaire who was a preacher a journalist and an activist uh from france from the ni- early 19th se- early to mid 19th century were his dates and um yeah he was a i guess a catholic preacher who was known as one of the great orators of his time and a great pulpit orator who had quite socially progressive ideas um, that were aligned with his Christian and Catholic beliefs. But he was, as I say, I, I see a quote on Wikipedia that says, Lacordaire was reputed to be the greatest pulpit orator of the 19th century. So he gave good pulpit that's always that's always a moment in movies isn't it there's always a moment where a priest or a preacher of some kind goes to the pulpit to give an inspirational speech to the congregation um very you know it's a bit of a bit of a cliched device in in dramas uh it's probably why i always felt disappointed in churches when the priests had very little to say did I did I complain? Did I complain about the the priest at the funeral I was at just before Christmas? Oh my goodness, that was the pits. Just nothing, no connection, no human emotion, no fire, no passion, no no fellow feeling. I'm like, oh man, you know, you've got one job, you've got one job, connect, connect with your flock you know serve serve your congregation hold them in the embrace of your faith in this moment of need and um sorry this guy failed badly i was <laughs> i was disgusted um anyway as it happens our friend jean baptiste had another quote that i just came across when i was looking up his deets earlier listen to this one this is great Man forms himself in his own interior and nowhere else. So man, 
or woe man forms him or herself in his or her own interior and nowhere else so let's 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 just adapt that even further people form themselves in their own interior and nowhere else that is a very powerful idea and it to me it lends itself to where i want to go with the rest of this uh, conversation today because and i've spoken about this before so if we start thinking if I'm, I'm thinking about these radicalized um often young white men who are taking up arms and writing manifestos of race hate and white supremacy and advocating white ethno states um and to my mind having their brains infected by the poison of of racist thought and discrimination and uh racist fear and particularly it would seem and the 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 articles i was reading today would back this up you know the 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 fear and hatred of of black people and jewish people looms large over everything um and this is you know to look at the jean baptiste uh lacordaire quote man forms himself in his own interior and nowhere else that i mean you, you know you know from if you, if if you are a regular listener to the podcast and if you're not i'll just stay i'll, I'll, I'll you know i'll nail my colors to the mast quickly i am forever obsessed with the the interior the internal life um because i believe that's the that that's that's the main driver of how we of how we tick and the decisions we make the actions we take the people we're attracted to the paths we choose in life um now that's not to say the exterior world uh doesn't shape that or have can have you know massive impact on that interior state but ultimately you know check in with someone don't I'm, I'm rarely interested in the outward show i'm rarely interested in you know job money status um where one's at where one's living what one's doing it's not that i'm not interested in that i mean that's all there to be seen um and maybe to be spoken about and there may be areas of common interest but ultimately it's it's the interior that is going to be far more revealing so what's what's the internal barometer what's the internal driver and i you know i've put i put forward this theory um in an episode towards the end of last year um which was a response to another mass killing in um well if not a mass killing certainly a an an act of extremism where someone drove into a crowd of people in um and i'm gonna forget that the the place name but it was kenosha i think wasn't it in milwaukee uh at a parade and i i did a, a podcast episode called acting out in the extreme or when private pain um becomes public rage 
Is that what I said? I, yeah, I look, I'm gonna include I'll include I'll include a link to that episode in the description of this one. And I'll also throw up some links to the the articles that I was reading this morning. Um but that's fundamentally my my theory is that you know the, the these guys who end up acting out and taking lives and killing people um and these young guys who become so radicalized um that it's all coming from a place of profound personal pain or profound personal alienation or deep anxiety fear sense a sense perhaps of rejection um and of course there seems to be a wellspring of anger in the mix as well um so you know that's that if that's the if that's the interior that is a very it's a very volatile place it's a it's it's in my opinion it's a it's a profoundly wounded place and when i talk or think in those terms um it does make me think about another one of my um theories about male anger which is the the idea that really what you're talking about is you know is is damaged men or damaged masculinity and men for you know for a variety of reasons uh you know cultural social economic um you know traditional historic whatever men feeling they can't express themselves or there isn't a place in their communities or their societies where they can safely express vulnerability where they can safely express brokenness um and again none of this you know let's uh, you know none of this becomes um none of this becomes a way to absolve individual people and individual men of their acts of violence it's not to say ah yeah but look you know he had a tough childhood or ah, he always felt very alone in the world i mean that stuff isn't irrelevant but i'm i'm not trying to I, I'm, I'm, I'd never, I'm never trying to kind of go, therefore, that's okay that, that those people got killed or that woman got, you know, battered or whatever, or that other man. Because, again, what seems to get thrown away sometimes in the mix when we talk about male anger is male on male violence. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, you're talking about, in my opinion, you're talking about very damaged interiors um which as i already uh, conceded could be the result of very tough confronting external experiences and that could be any again any number of things that could be abuse in the home that could be terrible um or destructive male modeling within the home place within the family within the community that could be social and economic deprivation, um, a lack of opportunity and access in terms of education and and work. Um, that you know, feelings of being disenfranchised, 
not having a say in society, um, not having a sort of a, a civic ownership or a sense of civic um, participation. Um, you know, so many different elements can contribute to an individual's sense of of isolation and alienation. But, you know, that's, and, and that's a very, I think that's a very sort of humanistic uh, position to take. And that's probably where I would sit um, with most things. Um, I, you know, after the initial digestion of an incident of violence or assault or, in, or you know, social deviance, for want of another phrase, I tend to focus on on the individual and go well where where did this person come from what 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 set them up to do this thing in what way were they not caught earlier and i you know i don't necessarily mean you know of course you can think of caught as in catching a criminal catching the criminal deviant mind on its journey to um on its journey to a terrible crime or a terrible tragedy to the committing of a terrible crime to in this you know in these cases i'm thinking of you know the committing of terrible acts of racial hatred um but to think of more compassionate terms also the sense of to catch someone who's falling before they hit the ground um that sense of caught you know, one that slipped through the safety net. Um, and that, you know, that's how, you know, that's how I would think about it generally is that that's really, you know, the ultimate objective is to eliminate as much as possible the the potential reasons for um, radicalization. And that probably is where we get into the the meat of these articles that I was looking at today and so fundamentally the the, the first article I, I read uh, and again both articles were by this Yale academic who published has published some pieces in the uh, in the Guardian so you can find them on, on the Guardian app or website again I'll throw in a couple of links so you can have a read yourself and let me just put in this disclaimer quickly. If I share an article, it's I'm not saying that this is Bible or gospel. It's not like a, a hallowed text. Uh, I'm saying it's thought-provoking. It may reflect some of my own political views. Um, but mostly, I find I, you know, if I'm sharing an article, it's an article that I have found informative and thought-provoking, interesting and has increased my understanding of a subject uh, which I didn't know more about previously. And you, if you choose to go and read it, I always recommend keep your critical head on. You know, you can you can read it and be critical. You can read it and go, I don't agree with all of this because that's generally how I read things. I don't go, cool, tell me what to think. I go, cool. Where is, where is this going to lead me? Where is it going to lead me in my thinking? What other articles or academics or books will it lead me to? What other areas of thought will it lead me to? 
who you know what counter narrative will it lead me to um so yeah so i'm just throwing that disclaimer in so you can you know come up with your own opinion but i found these articles informative uh and interesting as i say so the 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 writer in question the academic his name is jason stanley and he wrote uh, there's a piece there uh, from today or yesterday on the guardian and he talks about white replacement theory being an underpinning theory that a lot of these radicalized young men have at the core of their political manifestos uh you know which they've you know written and made public um to to coincide or to support their i suppose what they think is a you know of as a political act um and an act of political conviction before they go out and start killing innocent people and i suppose for them they put innocent in inverted commas i don't um and I mean, this is what I was thinking about today. I mean, this latest incident in Buffalo, the the killer uh, had some sort of racist epithet inscribed on his gun, uh, on the barrel of his gun, and it was totally racially motivated. But in any case, if you haven't heard of white replacement theory, and I don't think I had particularly, uh, the fundamental idea seems to be and again, this lends itself to the, or is, is sorry, is, a, is an aspect of the proliferation of conspiracy theory, um, dialogue and rhetoric and thinking and, in my opinion, conspiracy theory madness that has become so prevalent um, over the last 10 to 15 years, it would seem. Um as you see, I would, on that, on the conspiracy theory prevalence, I would argue that that's, you know, there's a direct relationship between growing anger in society and growing anger in Western society and a growing wealth gap um, and you know, a a growing sense of the collapse of Western democratic stability and that fear and anxiety and anger at the world, that particular world no longer being safe, no longer being stable, has opened up a doorway to present the destabilization of that world as being a world under threat and I think a lot of bad faith politicians um, have exploited it, exploited it um, ruthlessly, selfishly, cynically, disingenuously for their own political gain. And people like, yes, Donald Trump rode all the way to the White House on the back of that, of, of this, you know, the feeling of anger and the imagined threat and a lot of people have fueled those fires and fueled that paranoia and fueled that hatred and part of that fuel has been white replacement theory which uh, according to the article i read today 
can be can go all the way back to um, Second World War. So this lends itself to another recent episode of the podcast when I was talking about conscience and uh, conscience in the face of persecution and hateful ideology. And I referenced um, World War Two and Nazism and white replacement theory goes all the way back there. And in a nutshell, white replacement theory has it that global elites, and it would seem often portrayed as Jewish global elites, are trying to facilitate, promote, and encourage the replacement in white societies, the replacement of white people with immigrants. And and this is a really insidious term. Um, highly fertile immigrants, immigrants of color. Um, I mean, it's such a. I find it such a, an offensive, uh, objectifying, um, sort of animal breeding sort of term that it just shows you where the uh, the thinking is in this area, but that's that's fundamentally the idea that mass immigration as orchestrated by global jewish elites is going to lead to the removal of power from white society and white power holders and yeah it it, it it's a it's a theory that has been as i say it's been put at the heart of these mass shootings that have taken place over the last 10, 15 years longer. Um, the, the Christchurch mosque shooting was one of them. Um, the, the guy in, um, oh man, I'm going to forget what country it was. One of the Scandinavian countries, was it, was it Sweden? Anders Breivik, um, he had it at the heart of his ideology as well. Um, so, it's i don't know it's it's like when i think of it i put it in i i and and i'm probably going to just show my my marxist leanings because fundamentally i think social unrest and social disenfranchisement and the the sort of uh you know social breakdown and all of this stuff that relates, you know, like we can draw a line back to the conspiracy theories. You can draw a line back to radicalized young men. Um, and, you know, this could probably be applied to radicalized young men everywhere, not just in the West. But I just think of it in economic terms and think everything is about uh, insufficient opportunity, insufficient resources and insufficient distribution of wealth Um and the feeling then, I mean, you know, baseline, the baseline feeling that fuels the anger is a feeling of there isn't enough. There isn't enough for me. There isn't enough for me and for mine. And it's somebody else's fault. That's pretty, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Um and i'm just now i'm not i'm not saying that that is a that is like that's the blanket term like you could say well hold on there's a lot of people who feel that they've been actually systematically 
are systemically, I should say, disenfranchised and systems and institutions have worked against them generationally. And then those people, when they say that, I don't have enough and it's somebody else's fault. Me and mine don't have enough and it's somebody else's fault. (laughs) I believe that those people, when they say that, and the systems have been stacked against them for years and years and generations and generations. I go, yeah, sure. I believe you. I agree. But when you have young white guys saying the same thing, that I don't have enough and my world isn't providing what I need and society is being ruined, they're not thinking in economic terms. They're being convinced to think in terms of race and direct their anger at people of colour or people of, uh, you know, in the case of the, the, the mosque killings, of course, there's an aspect of people of colour there, but it's got the, it's got the Islamophobic um, element to it as well. Um, so it's, I, I mean, I, I, I find that aspect of it really, really disturbing and I think you can find people like that everywhere, probably. And I feel lucky that I'm, I'm living in Ireland where, you know, you can be angry. You can meet an angry person. Maybe you can come across someone who's having a complete meltdown and who's full of rage and is despairing at lots of different things. And maybe there are uh, xenophobic or racist undertones or overtones to their rage but I think well all of that's you know I I don't care for those positions but at least this person can't get access to loads of guns and you know walk into the local um, Centra or uh, the local Tesco or Aldi or a little and start uh, shooting everyone they um, you know that's a that's a that's that's a pretty um simplistic argument for for gun control but i think that's uh i don't think it's irrelevant um yeah i mean it, it it's in the mix but um yeah the i read by the same author he put up uh, another article there and was basically talking about how how fascism gets legitimized in politics and it's often on the back of the presentation of perceived threats to a way of life threats to family threats to faith threats to the economy threats to social cohesion um and the article sort of lays out how hitler very successfully you know demonized the jews in in the lead up to the second world war and in the lead up to the rise of the nazi party and the the article also lays out how the the legitimization of vigilantism the legitimization of basically um giving a green light to to civilians to become an unofficial uh, security arm or police arm uh, or an enforcement arm of the ideology. And you've certainly seen that play out in in the States. 
throughout the the Trump presidency and the response to the Black Lives Matter protests. And I remember one image, one one bit of footage from a few years ago where there was a a, a protest walking down the street in some part of the States and it must have been walking through um, a, a white neighbourhood because the, the members of that community, of the, of the white neighbourhood, were just standing outside their properties in full militia gear with massive automatic weapons, rifles, etc., masks, protective gear, just standing in a very intimidating, aggressive manner outside their homes as you know, people, you know, black and white, went on, uh, in that case, it looked like a peaceful protest down the street. Um, but, of course, Trump did legitimize some of these groups, and that wasn't an organized group, but there were groups, Proud Boys and Minutemen uh, and others. Um, and again, I spoke about this before on another episode of the podcast. That's um, That's a whole other... It's a whole other area of masculinity um, that, you know, that doesn't appeal to me, but clearly appeals to a lot of men, the idea of playing soldiers. Uh, and maybe some of those guys in question were ex-military, because that's definitely, that can be a component. But the um, that desire to to dress up in full military gear and have the weapons and have all the extra equipment. Um, as much as on the surface it represents something really sinister, uh, in my opinion, it represents something very sinister. Um, so on the surface, as much as that's the case and as much as it's a clear statement um, of uh, white power um yeah, I, I don't think I don't think there's anything ambiguous about that. Uh, there's always a part of my brain that goes, "Yeah, but isn't this just little boys playing with guns? Isn't that also part of it? Like, check me out. Look how cool I am with my cool gear and my cool boots and my cool combats. And hey, I've got these great night goggles, uh, night vision goggles. And yeah, look at me standing here with all my other buds." And we've got, I've got a bandana over my face as well. Um, and I've been working out a lot lately. So I've got this really tight black t-shirt on and my, my biceps are looking, they're looking pretty, pretty spiffy. And this is cool because we're all boys and we're all in a boys club doing boys stuff with our guns. And yay, there is a part of me that always thinks that as well. And I'm not trying to trivialize it, but I do think that's in the mix. Um, and I mean, you know, that, that goes back to again, this, I mean, and this is this is a bit of a segue or a tangent, but again, the whole idea of what do men want to be? What does masculinity want to look like? And where, you know, where is society, you know, giving permission for men to be a, a certain way? Um, because that that model of hyper masculinity has well you know i think it is uh it's a bit transgressive it's like really do we actually need this like what what is this saying and you know what what are you so desperate to protect 
you know, so aggressively. Um, and see, that's that really is the thing, because this is where the political forces, the cynical political forces, this is this is what they exploit because they convince these people that everything is at stake. Everything is at stake and action must be taken and extreme action must be taken and zero tolerance because, you know, your very identity is at stake. Um, and this is where the other key theory comes into the mix. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to add the article. It's not a great article, but it gives you the broad brush strokes, so it's useful enough. It's an article, um, oh, it's not from Time magazine, that's another one. But it's an article about critical race theory. And critical race theory is basically a theory that's been going around in American academia and in black sort of black activist circles for about 40 years is what I read. Um, it feels like it should have been longer than that. But fundamentally, the fundamentally the argument about race um, in critical race theory is that race is a construct race is a social construct and racism and and this is sorry this is largely a theory that came out in the in the in the united states from kind of black academics and black activists Um, and it's the idea that race is a social construct um, that was designed to to keep black people uh, specifically and then probably subsequently other people of colour to keep them ghettoised, to keep them in a lower, uh, a lower stratum of society um, as a means of controlling them, as a means of retaining control of wealth and power and resources and then the the incorporated idea in that systemic racism is that people of color's failure to achieve in society is their own personal failure because they are people of color because of their racial inferiority um because the the argument would be from the other side of the fence that oh no 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 there is no systemic racism racism this society is a pure meritocracy and there's equal opportunity for everyone and it's because you're black and lack motivation it's because you're black and you're not quite as smart um it's because you're black and you have a a predisposition to criminal and deviant behavior um that's why you haven't achieved. That's why you haven't risen to the top like the rest of us. Um, because, you know, and the rest of us is, i.e., white people, because, you know, we're superior. And critical race theory actively, aggressively, clear headedly, uh, and sort of empirically tries to debunk that idea and go, no, this is all BS. This, you know, racism is systemic racism is premeditated it's inbuilt in the institutions the institutions that claim to uphold a meritocracy but actually they're designed to keep us down and keep everyone else down and the um that that article that the article that talks about fascism 
being sort of, uh, you know, sneaked into um, a legitimate political position. You know, it talks about just slowly working away at the the legislative rights of of people you know of of the people that they're trying to keep down so playing with uh women's rights so very recently in the united states um the the supreme court has begun to try and overturn the roe versus wade finding which i think that case goes back to the 70s but that was the case that basically made abortion legal in the united states um, and gave women autonomy over their bodies and the supreme court has just overturned that because the supreme court has become very conservative with a couple of those key donald trump appointments um during his tenure and again i tell you what i might also i might i might throw a link in to a, a really good podcast from the united states called higher learning which is uh, a podcast fundamentally dedicated to black culture and black issues presented by uh, two really interesting, entertaining um, and informed black presenters, um, Van Lathan Jr. and oh, I want to say Rachel, is it Lindsay? I'm not sure. I've only listened to, I've only listened to it a few times, but I had a really good episode recently on the Roe versus Wade overturning and had a great conversation with a constitutional lawyer um who kind of broke it all down in very clear terms so that's well worth listening to um if you're interested in such things but the point i was trying to make is like this is a strategy you start working away at the broader rights of people and you can start using that then to to criminalize uh, to criminalize people and delegitimize them and to take away their power uh, and like voters rights is another area um, where this has been done uh, again I haven't got time to look at the the extraordinary levels of uh, extraordinary rates of incarceration and you know imprisonment in in America and what happens there and you know sometimes I find myself sitting here going maybe I have an undue interest um, in American politics and American social policy, but it's it's, it's I, I don't think it's imbalanced. I think I've always found America fascinating in that regard, um, and I always found the kind of the race war in America and civil rights in America fascinating, and and part of that comes back to my interest in in uh, depictions of. Um, I suppose in depictions of of righteousness and personal heroism and civil heroism and being interested, you know, really interested in that part of modern American history, you know, and the you know those big big figures of of the sixties, uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and the Kennedys, and you know, looking at the emergence of the Black Panthers and I, you know. Depictions of racism in movies, you see, always struck me very powerfully as a kid. And the sense of injustice really spoke to me. Um, and perhaps that's something many Irish people related to in terms of our own history of oppression and um, sort of 
racial vilification by the English. Um, and it's something that certainly incensed me as a, as a student, a young student of history in school. Um, and I know, you know, again I can't remember if I spoke about this on the on the, the podcast before I think I did I can't remember which episode it was but very quickly when Serena Williams got herself into a bit of trouble a few years ago and she had a big tantrum at a tennis match and screamed at one of the officials and it was a big incident um, I, can't, I think the tournament was playing out in the States but um, in an in an Australian, I was in Melbourne. I was in I was living in Melbourne still at the time. And in, in one of the Australian papers, the the you know the in house cartoonist for the newspaper depicted Serena Williams in um now how do I describe it? Depicted Serena Williams in a stereotypically uh, racist way. A sort of the, the 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 kind of the caricaturized black person being depicted with excessively big lips, and I think he, I think the cartoonist had her hair um, a certain way as well. Uh, I mean, I mean, again, my kind of my pop cultural um, references are failing me, but. It, it sort of, you know, it, it chimes with images I feel I've seen or consumed over my life uh, in cartoons of uh, of black people and black Americans being depicted in, you know, in, in a way that is inherently derogatory and demeaning um, and depicting them as sort of more animalistic, I suppose, and more primitive um and being sort of socially um socially lazy and slovenly um and i remember there was huge controversy huge controversy arose uh, and arose internationally it seemed around this particular cartoon image in the newspaper um and I remember getting into an argument with somebody at work, an American woman, a great this colleague of mine, who I have great time for. And she was just a bit, she was just like, meh, bit blasé. White woman from Tennessee and someone I, I dearly, dearly like. Um, we have a shared love of movies. Uh, she's a former actress. But she was kind of winding me up because she was very smart and, she, you know, much older person than I am. But ultimately she was, and and this was the you know the one point I took away from it. She was very kind of blasé about it, and kind of going eh. And she was like, "I've seen it all before. I've been there. I've been on the marches. I saw you know I was there first time round." And I don't know. I I couldn't. She just wasn't going to be moved by it. And um, I think her interests in life had had moved elsewhere. But I was sort of arguing. Look, Irish people were depicted as uh, you know in the. In the 1800s, you'd find depictions of Irish people in British papers, uh, Irish people being depicted as ape-like and being depicted as sort of almost like monkey men in leprechaun suits. Um, And I just felt the sting of that insult, or I recognised the sting of that insult. 
and the the sort of repugnance of apparent racial superiority um and yeah i, I look <laughs> that's that's where i'm coming from um yeah i've completely lost my i've completely lost my my my, my thread here cuz i got caught up in my <laughs> the revisiting of my of of my youth but the um look the larger point i was trying to make going back to um you know critical race theory was the the what's the word i'm trying to get here the the baselessness the 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 wrong headedness the the intellectual and empirical weakness of this argument um that there is a meritocracy that racism is um imagined um i don't believe that i think you know it's out there and i know i saw i think the mayor of buffalo saying you know racism and hate there's no place for racism and hate in america and you know i know what that person is trying to say but i don't know i think um sadly racism and hate is everywhere i mean that's it's like saying there's no place for sex in america do you know what i mean it's like these are facts of the human experience they're facts of and you know <laughs> i'm not equating <laughs> i'm not equating sex with racism and hate but i'm saying racism and hate are as central to the human experience as sex is and it's i don't know if that's the right this idea that you know racism and hatred can be obliterated is probably a bit naive but i think what we can do and maybe this goes back to the arthur sullivan quote is you know we can be active in trying to pursue something better we can be active in doing a deeper dive in trying to mine the vein of of what of social consciousness of uh, a desire for a more just society i mean social justice has become a, a dirty phrase like a, if you're a social justice warrior you are absolutely uh, you know denigrated and despised by a lot of these radicalized individuals and part of their sort of the, the weaponry of their rhetoric is just to sort of a uh, dump all over anyone who cares about a, a more fair just society and to to accuse accuse you of being a snowflake to 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 accuse you of lacking any sort of um you know resilience in the face of social turbulence or social injustice um but again i just think it's completely disingenuous it's uh, it's a it's a form of you know of the most uh, aggressive trolling and um yeah i you know again i i hope you know what i mean when i'm talking about trolling you know these are these are people uh who again a lot of this a lot of this 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 kind of race war a lot of it is played out on the internet and there are platforms that accommodate a lot of this very um flawed thinking and this very destructive ideology um but yeah a lot of this stuff plays out across the internet and it becomes a 
a war of words and it's it's very it can be very cynical and very disingenuous very manipulative and in the case of trolls what they love most is to provoke to provoke in um, the most kind of blatant ways and to just stick the knife in and get a reaction um yeah it's all going on it's all out there um another another source of information another source of information and I, you know, i'll put my hand up straight away and say i haven't read her books but there's a an irish academic irish nigerian emma dabbery and she has two books i think the first one's called don't touch my hair i mean i'm getting a flash of that 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 sort of uh fetishization of of black hair um which i mean and that fetishization of black people and the black body the black physique was brilliantly brilliantly and terrifyingly explored in the film get out which is uh it must be about five years old now is it um get out which has this brilliant central performance by Daniel Kaluuya, uh, the English actor who has done so well in uh, American movies. He's a great actor, a compelling, um, a compelling sort of presence um, on screen. But Get Out is, as I say, it's horrifying, but it really hones in on the um, yeah white people's fetishization of blackness, and I'm guessing having not read the book, but Emma Dabry's Don't Touch My Hair speaks to that. Um, and also the one, a book she came out, brought out last year, which I heard her speak about at length on the Blind Boy podcast. Um, I'll see if I can throw in a link for that. Um, she wrote a book called What White People Can Do Next, <laughs> which is like very deliberately uh, provocative. And I think it's the subtitle is The Journey from Allyship to uh, Coalition. But from listening to her speak on Blind Boy, uh, it, my memory is that she is a very clear proponent of critical race theory and spoke really intelligently um, and passionately um, and eloquently about race. So um, it is my intention to, to, to get my hands on those books and read them. But there's a, again, I came across a nice interview with her um, from Time magazine uh, talking about what white people can do next. And it's it's short, but it kind of sums up the thrust of her thinking. So again, I'll throw a few links into the description for this week's episode. Um, it's all good stuff. So if you're, um, again, another recommendation for you, if you're interested in uh, a less fraught look, but... Um, a brilliantly complex and intelligent look at race in America. You have to you have to check out the series, the HBO series Atlanta, which is the creation of Donald Glover, actor and singer. Um, he, uh, if you don't know Donald Glover, he played Lando Calrissian in the the Han Solo movie from a couple of years ago. Um, but he is one of the central characters of Atlanta, which focuses on this group of friends, one of whom is, suddenly becomes a very successful hip hop artist. And his buddy, played by Donald Glover, is a sort of Ivy League dropout um, who becomes his manager. And just how he negotiates 
um he's he's just you know he's just trying to live his life and get through but race just presents itself all the time in their lives and they're really switched on savvy characters who can just see the um the uh the absurdity and the hypocrisy of it all um brian tyree wilson and lakeith stanfield are the other actors who make up the three central characters oh and zazie beats as well like just a terrific cast brilliant script so on the money so funny so clever um and again yeah highly thought-provoking and unafraid to go to surreal places uh, and it's season three at the moment and they're really leaning into that so they, there's been you know you know in some of the episodes the, the central characters don't feature at all but it, be, it just becomes a sort of a a race flashpoint story they're short they're like 30 minutes long i couldn't recommend it enough i think it's one of the best things on tv um you know full stop hands down better than a lot of other stuff it just takes place in a highly highly believable world of today um and like hats off hats off to donald glover he um He's a bit of a genius. If that's if that's the only thing he ever did, I'd be like, far out. Brilliant. So, um, yeah. So there you go. That's where I'm going to leave it today, I think. I, I don't know if I... I don't know if I put a, a nice knot um, or a nice bow on all of that, but um, really interesting, thought-provoking stuff. White replacement theory, critical race theory, the radicalization of these angry white men the politicians and political movements that are facilitating it, uh, media people who are facilitating a lot of dubious thinking, um, who are fueling a race war and a culture war in the United States, such a divided country, um, such a tinderbox. And it's just really sad um, because there's a lot of, I think a lot of good people um, getting killed, uh, losing their bloody lives over this and i don't know is the the question to me always is what what can you contribute what can you contribute to the conversation what can you contribute to the the thinking what can you contribute to the understanding um and contribute to the discourse in a way that might just slow down the momentum of hatred and the momentum of murder uh, and the mom- the momentum of radicalization uh, because that's a I think that's a pretty good objective to to contribute in a positive way to that okay there you go thank you so much for listening um, you can find me on social media the clear out podcast is on YouTube Instagram Facebook the clear out too is on Twitter and you can email me anytime you like at the clear out live at gmail.com there will be a supporter link wherever you're listening to this podcast if you want to make a one-time contribution to the show or if you want to become a regular contributor supporter of this this effort you can do so using the patreon link that's patreon.com forward slash the clear out okay thank you thank you thank you thank you for listening Stay safe. Watch out for that hay fever. Watch out for those bloody chickens. Stay positive. Stay active. Keep that mind engaged. And I will talk to you next week. All the best. Take care. Mind yourselves. Bye.